Now, open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Luke. It is uh, great to be back again in the Gospel of Luke with you this morning. We are continuing on, as is our pattern. We are in chapter 19, and we're going to be looking at the last parable that Jesus preaches before going into Jerusalem for that last week of his earthly life. So we'll be in verses 11 to 27. It's an awesome, amazing parable. I'm going to need prayer this morning that I can uh, communicate this to you in all of its uh, amazing depths and layers that it has. While you're looking that up, as is usually the case, I want to ask you a question this morning just to get our minds into some of the big ideas that are found in this parable. And that question is, have you ever started something that you didn't finish, (laughs) but you wished you had? right? I mean, come on, who's got the t-shirt here? Okay, so 12 people are telling the truth. Um, No, it's it's true. Like, probably every one of us has had the habit of starting things we don't finish, projects, whatever they might be. I'll confess to you this morning, mine is, is that I usually have three to four books on the go at any given time. So what happens is I start a book and then I see someone talking about a book and so I download the Kindle because I got to have it and I put the other one aside and I start reading that one for a few minutes or nights uh, or days into the tour. And so I've got them going and then what happens is I get halfway in to one book and I'm going, oh, wait a second, I I actually go back, I got to go back to the other book because it's important to what I'm teaching or whatever's going on in our lives. And then I forget the story. I forget what I've read in the first four or five chapters. I got to go back and start over again. And anyway... So that's, that's what I do a lot, and there are other things, but starting and not finishing, good news is I actually do end up finishing all those books. I would suggest to you that this is a big problem for all of us, in our world today especially. Now, some people might blame it on procrastination, right? You know, th- that wonderful word, oh, I'm a procrastinator. And it, some people wear that as a badge. I don't, know if, I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't normally quote psychologists because you know, they're not always on the button on certain things like this, but I read something uh, that I think speaks to our text today, uh, and it's true. And they would suggest this is our problem. Our main problem today is we live in the near mode versus the distant mode. And their suggestion is is that, well, of course, they would say we've evolved into that. That's where I think they're getting a bit wonky. No, the truth is, they say, the reason is, especially today, there are just so many distractions, There are so many distractions, so we get started, and then we get distracted. And the other issue is this. Most of us are seeking immediate gratification. Hello? (laughs) Yeah, right? So anyway, in today's text, in this parable, Jesus shows his disciples what it is that they should be focusing on and how to do that. His purpose and goal is, listen, that they will finish and that they will finish well. Let's read our passage for today, and then I'm going to pray one more time. As they, the disciples in Zacchaeus' home, heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a, king, himself a kingdom, and then to return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave gave them ten, ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him. 
that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. The second came to him saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you. I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did, did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him, from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. <laughs> I tell you that to everyone who has more, has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. I think we need to pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, oh, Lord, thank you once again. Thank you, Lord, that in all things, uh, as I believe we will see today, but uh, Lord, I, I, I pray that we all see that every day that we wake up, that you are an amazing provider. You provide for us everything that we have. And yes, Lord, today we, we're living in a pandemic. Uh, we're waking up in our area of this world today on the West Coast under a cloud of smoke, and it's hard to breathe. It's challenging. And yet, Lord, you are caring for us and providing for us. And even these things, Lord, are from your hand. So we thank you for them too. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bless us today. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me in the words that you've given to me, but also all of us who are hearing today to literally, truly just hear from you. Would you open up this text to us? Would you open up our hearts and reveal your truth to us today so that we might be changed, transformed into people who finish and finish well? And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So your sermon title for today is Live Every Day with the Finish in View. Let me repeat that. Live every day with the finish in view. Three things I hope to show you. Number one, false expectations. Number two, faithful and unfaithful servants. I'm sure you saw that. And then number three, unparalleled grace. Unparalleled grace. I'll put the first verse up on screen, and this is under number one, false expectations. I'll reread it for you. It says this, As they heard these things, he proceeded Jesus to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Well, as I've already alluded to, Jesus and his disciples are still at the home of Zacchaeus, following the dinner and, and following the period where the now ex-chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, has declared his faith and trust in Jesus and said, I'm, I'm giving all my ill-begotten gain away. 
And it was at that point that, that Jesus said and declared, salvation has come to this house today. And then he also said these words, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so that's what's happening as they heard these things. Jesus senses something at the end of this dinner because, well, he knows what's going to happen. He knows that tomorrow morning, uh, which is probably Saturday, they're going to start heading towards Jerusalem. And so he tells them this parable for two specific reasons. First, again, they're 25 kilometers approximately from Jerusalem, and he senses that they're still thinking wrongly. They have false expectations. They're still thinking that he's going to usher in the kingdom next week, like immediately. Not going to happen. The timing's perfect in their minds, however, it's Passover week. The Messiah is supposed to come during Passover week. It's, it's like, we, we know what Isaiah prophesied. This is the day, this is the time. Jesus, this would be perfect. Well, that's what they think. Despite the fact that he has told them three times, minimum that we know in the Scripture, what exactly would happen to him in Jerusalem next week? He's going to suffer and die. He's going to be crucified on a Roman cross. He's told them this. But no, they thought they expected and wanted only one thing. And we see it in the text. They wanted the kingdom of God to appear immediately. (laughs) Anybody else? (laughs) I'd like that today. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen? That was their expectation, but that was not the plan of God. It never was the plan of God. So Jesus has to do what he's done now many times with his disciples. He's such a patient man, not only with his disciples, but as we've seen with the Pharisees, but as we know today with you and with me, with all of us. And so he needs to prepare his disciples for the reality of what lies ahead, not just for him, but for them. But for them. The reality is is that their expectations are on the near and the immediate and not on the distant and the future. So Jesus will not be acknowledged next week as king, will he? And loved by all the people, he will be, listen, hated and despised. And by the end of the week, the vast majority of people, less maybe 500, will be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. That might be hatred, right? So Jesus launches into a parable that follows a usual pattern for him. It's a usual pattern for Jesus. First, he starts with something that is familiar, right? Like like the parable of the soils, like about agriculture. So he starts with a story, a parable that they're going to be immediately going, okay, we recognize this. This is familiar to us. And then he moves to the unfamiliar. It's, it's an amazing way to preach and teach. I wish I was that gifted. He intends to teach them, and the reason why he's doing this is he intends to teach them a spiritual truth that is new and completely unfamiliar to them. And that's why he's doing this. That's why he uses the mode of, of parallels, uh, pardon me, of parables. And so he's using illustrations and stories that were very familiar to them as an introduction to his teaching to them to get their attention, and this parable is true to form. So first, the familiar. When they heard these words, Jesus starts, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. When they heard these words to a person in that room, in that space, they would have went, well, that sounds 
shockingly familiar. I mean, this has just happened in their world and in their culture. The Jewish historian Josephus chronicles the recent story of a nobleman whom they all know who was a king, one of King Herod's sons. King Herod left his kingdom to three of his sons, one of whom was Archelaus, who had built a castle in Jericho. However, he was better known or more nefariously known for how upon receiving his rule over his father, which was the area of Judea, which included Jerusalem and Jericho, he immediately decided to slaughter 3,000 Jews. Yes, that's exactly what he did. This is not how you win uh, friends and influence people, is it, right? At least that's not what we would think. But this kind of a despot, this kind of a ruler, they did think that. In fact, they knew that fear worked. And that's why he did things like this. So the interesting thing, besides that, about this nobleman Archelaus, was that initially, anyway, he, he was not conferred with the title king. And this kind of miffed him. I'm, I'm the son of King Herod. I deserve that title. But he wasn't conferred with it. So off he went to see Caesar to receive his title that he thought he was worthy of. However, hear this, and we saw this in the story, in the parable, in the reading of it, The people hated him so much, true story, that they sent a delegation to Caesar to oppose him. Caesar heard their charges, believed them that they were true, and he refused the request of Archelaus for the title. Instead, he gave him the title of Ethnarch. It almost sounds condescending, doesn't it? (laughs) The title, okay, I thought that was funny. Ethnarch, right? Gave him that title, and he told him, listen, you go home and you win the affection of the people, and then you'll get that title. Well, he never did. So it's a familiar story so far. They're like, well, we've heard this story before. This is very familiar. But Jesus' parable has a twist. Several that we'll see this morning. Actually, a few, right? Which are intended now to lead them from what they found to be familiar, therefore that they understood into the realm that they didn't quite yet fully understand, which is the spiritual So the first twist is this. This nobleman in this story selects 10 servants. Well, Archelaus didn't do that. He selects 10 servants and he gives each one a mina with instructions to conduct business on his behalf while he's away and until he returns. So now these minas, everyone in that day would have known this, weren't a gift to do whatever you wanted with. People knew that. They were expected as loyal and devoted servants who hopefully loved their master, one would hope, to make some sort of gain which would then prove by doing that their respect and devotion to their nobleman. So let's be sure we see this. This nobleman in this story that Jesus tells is going away to receive his kingly title and deed to his kingdom which is where both the servants and the citizens all lived. They all lived in his kingdom. At this point, whose kingdom are we talking about? The nobleman Archelaus or this new nobleman? Well, the second twist then is this. We're told that the citizens in this nobleman's kingdom, they also hate him, and they, as with Archelaus, declare they do not want this man to be their king. 
This is the story being told on the night before a few days later, right? When, and of course we're going to see this next, in the next few weeks, and it happens in the next week of Jesus' life, the people choose who over Jesus? Barabbas, a thief and a murderer. Well, then we read in verse 15, when he, the nobleman in this story, returns, having received, look at this, the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know they had gained what they had gained by doing business. Hmm. So the, the twist here is, again, interesting, this king does receive the title to his kingdom that he already had. So I've I got to stop here because it just occurred to me, the disciples have got to be like, huh? Like, Jesus, you're going to have to explain this parable to us. They did that a few times, didn't they? You're just going to have to explain it to us. Well, but, but we're on the other side of the cross, as I like to say, and so we've had it explained to us, haven't we? The rest of the parable then tells them something new about the nobleman. It, it's, it's, yes, a familiar story, but it's about a different nobleman. Who? It's about Jesus. They will begin to understand this. And what is new is that it's about his second coming. That's really new. They didn't get that, even yet. I mean, in Acts chapter 1, before he ascends and he tells them to, to take and be witnesses to where, to, you know, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, even at that point they're going, so now? <laughs> Are you going to cause your kingdom to come now, like today? He's like, ah, oh, guys. No, they still did not get it. And so we know this. He, he first came to inaugurate his kingly reign on earth, which wasn't fully realized in that day, wouldn't be feel, fully realized in the weeks ahead, of course, as they expected and had hoped. But this nobleman, who is Jesus, will go off to a faraway land, to a distant future. He will. And he will return to fully establish his rule and his reign as king of his kingdom forever. At that time, he will judge. He will deal with his servants one by one upon his return, and that is what the rest of this parable is about. We will learn that all of the subjects fall into essentially three categories. Three categories. Faithful servants, unfaithful servants, and enemies of Jesus. So now we move into point number two. We'll be looking at the faithful and the unfaithful servants. Now the rest of the story again is about the time between when Jesus first came to seek and save the lost, to establish the, the plan and the way of salvation, accomplishing our salvation through his death, burial and resurrection, and then he ascends going off to this far land. He leaves who? Us, his church, to go and make disciples by proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom when? Now and until he returns. So today, we're living, living in what we like to call the not yet of the kingdom, right? The time between the first and the second coming of Jesus. Might not be new to you and me, you and I today. Might be. That's a good thing. Certainly was to them. 
So we got to look at these minas for a minute here. The nobleman we know in the story uh, gives each servant a mina, which in that day, again, all of the people would have known, well, a mina, that, that's like, that represents approximately three to four months' salary. Right? That's, that's, it's not enough to buy a home and to become rich, but it's certainly not insignificant, right? But now we need to notice another twist, and that is that the nobleman nobleman church chooses 10 servants and he leaves them look with with a part of his own wealth they didn't earn this it's a gift that he gave to them and so he leaves them with a part of his own wealth he shares it with them the only condition is that they actually go and do something with it and so he clearly expects gain from his mina that he gave to them in return so now again, I think we, or I feel we need to understand that in those days, they would have understood this relationship between a nobleman and the, the nobleman's servant to mean that what was given to his servants was given with the understanding that it remained the king's property and they were to think of themselves merely as stewards, although not such a bad deal when you think about it, right? Three to four months salary, that's like thirty to $40,000 today, for anybody who's actually making a living in Squamish, right? It's a fair about a, a bit of money that they were given. So let's look at it. How did they do? The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. Now, those are familiar words, aren't they? There's another parable of the talents in Matthew 25, and the response, a different parable, different meaning, different story, but the response of Jesus to the faithful servant was, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the... the words that all of us one day hope to hear, amen? Beautiful. So here we have our first faithful servant. He was able to see a return of 10 minas from the one. But wait, look at his actual words. This is the important part about this person. It teaches us about his heart, who he knew he was, and what he thought of his master. He said, Lord, your mina, not mine. And he's not like, hey, let me show you what I did. No, no, he's actually saying, look, you not only gave me the mina, but, but you, you gave me the opportunity to be able to produce gain for you of your mina. This is incredible humility. And I would also suggest it's a character trait that we looked at last week called meekness. Well, the response is generous. <laughs> well done, good servant. And so what, what we got to see here is we have to see extraordinary generosity. It goes by another word, right? We'll be looking at that shortly unmerited favor. He not only produces 10 more miners, but he gets authority over, or pardon me, he gets those 10 miners to keep them, and he gets authority over 10 cities, and the one who produces five gets five cities. This is incredible, extraordinary generosity. It's out of proportion. I heard one preacher talk about this, or a writer talk about this, and he says it's unproportional generosity doesn't make any sense. A couple of months salary, okay, multiply that, like times 10, that's okay, maybe, what, 200 grand? That's not 10 cities. 
It's a lot. So we'll come back to this, but first let's look at the unfaithful servant. Verses 20 and 21 tell us, Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. I only have one word for this. The word is tragic. It's tragic, isn't it? Seriously. The tragedy is that this servant's own words reveal his heart and his attitude towards his master. Or at least, if nothing else, it's revealing his lack of knowledge of what is master's heart and what his master is really, really and truly like. You see the assumptions he makes, right? He makes the assumption that he is severe. You know, he's strict, he's mean, he's hard. Do any people think today that God's that way? Maybe even Christians think that way, that sometimes God's being hard to them? We, we can go there. Of course, those who are enemies of the gospel and of the Word of God go, well, yeah, the God of the Old Testament? Yeah, don't, don't want a God like that over me. It's understandable to a certain extent. He assumes he's severe, that he takes what he does not deposit, and he reaps what he did not sow. And why, do, why, why in the world does he see the king that way? Well, we don't know. We don't know what the relationship is like. But now, listen, we know who we're talking about here. We're not talking about Archelaus. We're talking about Jesus at this point in the parable. The word another here gives us a lot of detail, a lot of information about this man's heart. In the Greek, it's a very interesting word. And again, we see it there. Another comes to him, right? The word literally means not the same as or unorthodox. The Greek word is the opposite of orthodoxy, orthopraxy. So this one is not really a true believer, is it? Is he? And sadly, these type of people do appear and exist in the church today. I'm not saying the rock church, but they exist in the church today. There are those who appear part of the church, part of the kingdom, who want all of the blessings, all of the benefits of, of what the church provides, the love, the community, the affection, you know, the hopefully good sermons or the great worship, right? They want all that. And maybe even believe that by association they're going to be saved. Hey, I'm with these folks. Look at me, therefore, right? But the truth is, when their faithfulness and devotion is tested, there's no evidence of love, devotion, or fruit. The response this time is far from generous. He says, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might at least have collected it with interest? Listen, everyone who was in that room on that day, every one of them would have been thinking of this particular servant and thinking of that person as a complete idiot and fool. Like they would all know that, that at least you would do that in a handkerchief? What is wrong with you? The verdict clearly states, starting with condemn, that this servant, listen, is not a true 
disciple. I know this is hard news for some people. But here, listen, listen, no true disciple of Jesus Christ ever calls him a thief or a liar. But that's what this person does. He takes what is not his. That's a thief, right? That's exactly what he does. But also, we've got to see here, this nobleman is, we've got to make sure we understand that this is not the character of Jesus, okay? Because do you see the question mark there? It's very important that we see that the nobleman is asking that, really? Is that how you perceived me? Is that I'm severe and so forth? It's a question mark. And so it's rhetorical, to say the least. To say the least. So next, the remaining servants in this story, who have all, listen, been given a mina as well from the nobleman, they are the ones who are asked to give the one mina that has been held in the handkerchief to the one who has ten. Now, let me ask you a question here. Where's their minas? Why aren't their minas talked about? Well, there's only one conclusion or assumption I think we can make. They no longer have them. So what did they do? Well, they either lost their mina or they spent it on themselves. They didn't do what the master, the nobleman, had asked them. And, and now when they're asked, this gives them away a little bit, they're asked to take the one from the guy who's now been given 10 more, the 10 that you know, he made or the Lord's mina made, to him they're like, Lord, he's got 10 minas. It's a little bit like them saying, how fair is that really? Come on. To which Jesus replies, and this is our point number three, unparalleled grace. I tell you, that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Can you imagine that? More will be given to those who are given something in the first place that they didn't deserve, that belongs to their master, that belongs to someone else, and then just because they've been faithful and love their master and and have done what they've been told or asked to do on his behalf, they're, they're given more? More and more. It's wonderful. I tell you, he says. So as I've asked what happened to their one mina, they no longer have it. I don't know whether they lost it or spent it, but they're the ones who are told to, to take the one mina from the one who had saved it in a handkerchief and give it to the other. And that person is given 10 cities as well. Important note here. They're given 10 cities, but there's still business to be done overseeing 10 cities, isn't there? So just think about it in eternity, eternity, because this is about eternal rewards for Christians. Yeah, there's still going to be work to be done, but it's going to be awesome work because we're doing it for our King and our Lord. And then finally, this King will also deal with the citizens in his kingdom. Verse 27 says, but as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Please remember this. They hated him. They did not want him to be their king. Friends, this is hard, I know. We love people in our lives. We love our neighbors. We love people in this community. We love the world like God so loved the world. But the truth is people hate Jesus today. 
they will hate him until the day they die. That should not deter us from loving them and proclaiming the gospel to them every day of our lives. So Jesus told this parable ultimately because, listen, he wants his disciples, you and I, to reorient our expectations, to be prepared for something new in their case, and therefore to think marathon, not sprint, right? Distant and not near. He desires for them, his desire for them is that they not lose heart. Oh man, he's been constantly teaching the seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, everything you need to eat, to put on, whatever, will be given to you. He's just constantly asking them to not lose heart, that they persevere and that they would understand the mission that he will soon call and commission them to. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes I get that wrong as a pastor, I got to tell you. So to accomplish that, he's going to send them the power from on high so we get the power of the Holy Spirit. We have everything we need to accomplish what he's calling us to do in these days. He's just asking us to be faithful servants and in this parable that we think about living today with the finish in view all the time. That's what we need to do. Then every day will be awesome. (laughs) Our our, our finish, our, our eternity is secure. Read Ephesians 1. So how? Well, first, listen, we need to ask, we need to understand this morning before we close, what is our mina, okay? What is it really? What is it a picture of in, in this story today? Do you know what it is? Do you know what the mina is? Well, I'll put it to you this way. All of us, if we are in Christ, every single believer has a mina. And, and good news, my mina is no better than your mina, they're the same mina. It's completely equal across the board. But you have one, and so what is it? Well, simply put, it's our king. It's him. It's Jesus. He's our king. And since our king has left us to care for his kingdom while he was away, what are we to do? We are to do the king's Business. It's such a simple story. Christianity's not that hard. Oh, wait a second. It can be. And so what is that? What, what is it that we're to do? Well, we are to simply do this. Make him known. It's on our banner, I believe, as a church. Make Jesus known. Share Jesus with our mina, which is the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's our mina. You have the same one that I have. Are you using it? Am I using it? And fruit, listen, friends, is what our minas are supposedly, are supposed to produce. Recently, I heard a sermon, great sermon, by a good friend of mine, Pastor. Uh, I was really caught by the fact uh, that he shared something from his heart, and, and it's, uh, he, he's struggled with depression uh, over the years, and, but he struggled, uh, he, he shared one of his main struggles, and, and it is this. He's been in pastoral ministry, I, I, I think, for at least 20 years or more. He's a younger man than myself, but he said the one thing, the thing that hurts his heart more than anything else in his life in ministry as a Christian is the number of people that he has seen who he's walked with who professed faith in Jesus Christ. And they not only are not going to finish well, but they've walked away. It just got too hard. And so he offered these words from Hebrews 3.14. 
as part of his message. I want to share them with you. The author of Hebrews says, for we have come to share in Christ one really important word there. It's an important word. If indeed, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Can you be saved and lose your salvation? No. Can you think you're saved and not be saved? Yep. Yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. So the the lesson from this verse is we must finish. We individually must finish, but we also must help each other (laughs) and care for each other that we finished. Some of you probably are thinking, okay, Glenn, we we know this about you. We, We sometimes think, you know what, you worry too much about the younger men and women in our church, about what, they're, what podcasts they're listening to, what they're reading, uh, you know, what, they're, what they're being led into. And, and, and oh, my, you should have a little bit more faith and, and trust. They're pretty smart people. And listen, I'm just going to say it to you this way because I love you. I am a little bit older. That You might think that might give me a little bit more wisdom and, and maturity, but it's this. I've seen the pattern. It's a very simple pattern. It starts with the same words that were given in the garden that caused sin to come into this world. Did God really say? It's not just deconstruction, it's deconversion that is happening in our world today. So yeah, it it concerns me. It worries me. It worries me. And it should you too. The Apostle Paul also experienced this. Man, you read Philippians, you read the epistles, he experienced this a lot. He, he grieved over men and women not making it to the end. He grieved over it constantly. But he, he gave us a great hint on how to finish the what? The race. You're right. In Philippians 3, he said these words. He said, like, one thing. I got one recommendation for you. One thing I do. Forgetting the past. I could also say, don't look back, don't look left or right, don't get distracted, just look at the cross and then look at the future, at eternity, and do that every single day. Keep the finish in view. And so listen, here's one last thing I want to leave you with this morning that you can do, that I can do, that we must do if we want to avoid being distracted and so that we can finish well. Also from the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, we read these words. And let us, church, rock, everyone in this room, everyone watching this morning, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day the day drawing near. So listen, church, as we enter the fall season, uh, here's something I've noticed. It's a pattern. When we first started going live on Facebook back when COVID hit, 50, 60 live streams, two or three people on each live stream watching. The last few weeks, far fewer. I get it. (laughs) I didn't like coming here and preaching to a camera on Friday night and putting together videos and putting them up and then sitting at home myself doing that. But friends, that's all we've got right now for the moment. We need to gather together and we need to encourage each other every Sunday morning on Facebook Live. It's what we've got. 
If we can find something better, we will do it. And Lord willing, we will be able to gather soon. This is, we need each other. You need your brothers and sisters to go, hey, what are you doing? What are you reading, by the way? You should be reading this, not that. We need to do that for each other. And don't just leave it up to your pastor. Otherwise, he looks like he worries too much. So let me just finish with this. Let's remember this. Our King Jesus has gone to a faraway place, but he is near to us every day through his Spirit. Amen? He's near to us. Every single one of us, every single one of us, Christian and non, the air that you are breathing today, despite the smoke, it's his air. The ground that you're planting vegetables in, the career that you're working to receive financial blessing, it's his. All of it is his that he's giving to you. (laughs) He's giving it to you and to me. And so my question for you this morning is, do you love your king? Are you devoted to your king? Is your mina multiplying? My prayer for you is that you will live today, tomorrow, every day with eternity in view.